right, everybody, welcome to episode number 56 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Now, Chris, stop being so anxious. I have to make a correction from last week's episode. Apparently, I said it was episode number 54 in the intro. I was oh so very wrong. That was episode number 55. Chris, we've been at it so long, I've lost track of what's going on around here. Well, we never know what's going on, so it's no surprise. (laughs) No, we don't. Chris, I have to announce to everybody that unfortunately you and I have been so busy lately, it's been getting more and more difficult to find time to record. I am coaching my son's little league team. Both Chris and mine's softball leagues are starting up, so we are all over the place, and we are still dedicated to the podcast and still going to try to put out an episode each week, but right now it is getting a little more difficult, so uh, we're going to try to... Come up with a schedule that is a little more convenient for both of us. (laughs) Our level of motivation coupled with uh, nice weather and other activities like softball, I mean, nothing could possibly go wrong. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, it's awful. And what's crazy is we have four episodes laid out for the upcoming few weeks. Great cases. And we, we just need to find the time to do them. Now, Chris, I realize that I'm getting a little older, but what happened to me this week was more than a bit disturbing. As I said, I'm my son's little league coach. So I was at practice with them, pitching a little bit of EP, and my man, I pulled out my back. And I have been <laughs> literally on a cane since last Wednesday. I'm getting around a little bit better now, but I got all fucked up. And what happened was I went for a scan a while ago, and I have a shitload of bone spurs up and down my spine. And this one happens to be down near my tailbone. So, like, my... Uh, ligaments or whatever had swollen and then the bone spurs are just digging into them and it's such a uh, fucking stabbing pain. I mean, what is it about the the back? Does it just like the strength of your back just deteriorate greatly in your 30s and 40s? Do, I don't... I, I don't get it. I mean, and I think part of it has to do with uh, your core and I have the core strength of a wilted celery stick. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, what is core strength anyway? How do you... <laughs> I think you just have to do a bunch of sit-ups. I think that's how it's determined, and I could do about three or four of them. <laughs> it's so fucking difficult getting older. Like, you, you have to do more shit to not get hurt, it seems like. But when you try doing that shit, you end up getting hurt anyway, so what's the point of living anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we should be grateful that we're still alive, but it is getting a little more difficult to function. Now, with all that said, Chris, we still vow to put out the best quality episodes that we can which may not be saying much but that is our vow to you good people so uh let's get right into it chris you're gonna be happy to know that tonight we are once again headed back to the great white north more specifically pal we're headed to british columbia and more more specifically chris we're headed to the salish sea because tonight we are discussing the salish sea human foot discoveries now (laughs) i had heard of this previous chris but i didn't realize the severity of it until we started looking into this case because from august of 2007 till current day nearly 20 detached human feet have been found along the coast of the salish sea uh buddy have you ever heard of this i have not heard of this before this is pretty wild. Yeah, and there are theories aplenty about what 
is causing this phenomena. And we're going to get into all that as we move along here. But Chris, as I like to say, and as I say every week, we need to go backwards to go forward. So Chris, let's give a little bit of a rundown about the old Salish Sea. A sea, I must admit, that I never even knew existed until we started researching this episode. One of many, I'm sure. Yes, but uh, Chris, the Salish Sea, what do you got for us? The Salish Sea is a marginal sea of the Pacific Ocean located in the Canadian province of British Columbia and the U.S. state of Washington. It's right between the two. So a narrow kind of body of water that, that runs in between the two. The sea, so the sea stretches from the channels of the Discovery Islands, which is just north of the Strait of Georgia, your hometown, <laughs> and <laughs> to Bud Inlet at the south end of the Puget Sound. I'm sure everyone's heard of that before. What the hell are we dealing with here? Is this a large sea? Is it small? What are we looking at as far as geography? Well, that's all relative, Bill, but it is approximately 440 kilometers or 270 miles to uh, the Americans out there. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, How deep is this thing? So apparently, on average, it could be up to like 430 feet, but at the maximum depth, it's 2,200 feet. That always is so freaky to me. When, when like, the depth goes that far down, when you get to, like, things like oceans, it's, you know, it's, you don't even fucking know. But even a lake, if a lake goes below, like, 50 feet, it's concerning to me. Dude, I... I, I don't know what's down there. I have said a number of times on this show, even in the ocean, I don't go in above my knees. I need to have my arms free in case I have to punch a shark in the face or it's grabbing my leg. I, I will not be susceptible to a shark attack. And if we're talking about, you know, these freshwater lakes and whatnot, I mean, we did that episode on Loch Ness. Who the hell knows what's down there? Not to mention, depending on where you are, you're not safe in fresh water sometimes. No. Because uh, bull sharks. But, yeah, and, and that whole thing, like, where they say, oh, you know, most attacks happen in knee-deep water. Yeah, but is there any vital organs below your knee? I don't think so. And I'm telling you, you can have your hands free and you can fight a little bit rather than just being thrust right under the water. Right. You're 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 completely vulnerable if you're, if you're anywhere above your waist. Like, that's when you're just completely vulnerable, so. Well, that's the thing. I think I told you this, too. When I was growing up in Yonkers, my mother used to take me down to Orchard Beach in the Bronx, and it was fucking terrible back in the 80s. And I was in the water. I was I was up past my waist. I think I might have even mentioned this on the show once before. A fucking eel swam between my legs. It's Look, it's, it's their world. We have no right being there. <laughs> That's true. And speaking of all the horrifying things that you can find in these bodies of water, what we're talking about tonight, Chris... It's probably one of the worst case scenarios. And that is the series of human feet that have washed ashore or been found floating adrift in the Salish Sea. Now, as I said before, dude, since 2007, there have been over 20 feet found. But Chris, this is nothing new to the area. Apparently, we got to go back 100 some odd years because in Vancouver in 1887, get this, they found a foot and I guess in a tongue-in-cheek manner, they named the place where they discovered this foot Leg in Boot Square. I mean, it's nice to to have a little bit of uh, lightheartedness about this because it's such a serious matter, but my God, if I ever saw a severed human foot wash ashore to me and I picked it up, I would probably just turn to dust. I'd probably just fucking puke. Because what's happening is that they're showing up in mostly sneakers or boots and with a sock on it too. So what's happening is... The sneakers are made, and they're very buoyant. So they'll float, and it almost 
provides a protective casing for the foot. And if it's wrapped in its sock, it's just going to provide more protection for the foot. So, I mean, I'm sure, you know, sea life is going to get to this or birds might pick at whatever they can get their little grubby hands on. But for the most part, the inner portion of that foot is going to be protected. And as long as it sets adrift, it has more of a possibility of uh, making its way to land where many of these feet have been discovered. Let's go back to a case that we've done before where the foot was found in the shoe. Do you remember those two girls that went missing? Yes. And everything else had decomposed except they found a foot inside of one of the shoes, right? Yeah, you're referring to that Chris Kramer's case down in Panama, I believe, right? And one of the one of the girls' feet were preserved in the boot, which eventually led to the authorities finding out their identity. And so, I mean... That's the thing here, too. That's the double-edged sword. You know, unfortunately, you're finding these feet, which is you know, obviously worst-case scenario, but at least, you know, it will provide closure because they can draw DNA and they can identify, for the most part, who these feet belong to. And at least that will provide some form of closure for the families who may be missing, you know, these loved ones. Chris, we gave the geographical layout of the area. Why don't we dive in a little deeper and talk about who these feet actually belong to? And we could start with the very first one, Chris, which took place, as I said, on August 20th, 2007. And this took place on Jebediah Island in British Columbia. And as the story goes, apparently there was a girl from Washington State who was visiting British Columbia who picked up a size 12 Adidas shoe, and open the sock. Now, let this be a lesson to all of us, especially if you're in British Columbia. If you do happen to come across a shoe or a sneaker or a boot or even a sock, for that matter, on a beach or on a rocky shoreline, do an about face and walk away. You do not want to find out what's in that. So back to our story. So this girl picks up this shoe, looks in the sock, and my man, uh, she found something she was not looking for. A man's right foot. And But as I said, there is some, for lack of a better word, uh, something good that comes out of this discovery because this foot was later able to be identified as the remains of a man who uh, was suffering from depression. But yeah, I mean, as difficult and as gross as it may sound to find a foot, it ultimately ends up becoming helpful to the loved ones that are looking for a missing person. Although it might be worth noting, it says the kind of shoe it was was produced in 2003 and distributed mainly in India. And obviously there's plenty of shoes that are made around the world that make it to various locations, but... It makes you wonder, we are dealing with a body of water that's located on the West Coast, and currents obviously play a big role in how things move, so they could be coming from very far away. Not to, not to say that this person was that case, but like some of the things that are being found here may not necessarily be a local incident. Well, well absolutely. And, you know, one of the theories, and then we're going to get into this down the road, some speculate some of these feet being found belong to victims of the tsunamis that took place in Asia. And I'm guessing in this point, more specifically, the 2004 tsunami or even some of the later tsunamis. Because, you know, we're talking 2007 at this point, and the tsunami in India took place in 2004. So, you know, maybe this foot was adrift and preserved for all those years. So say this gentleman, maybe he drowned and was pushed out to sea, sharks or any other kind of sea life started taking apart the body. 
but they couldn't break through the shoe or they weren't interested at that point. So the foot broke off at the ankle and just set adrift and no animals wanted anything to do with it, obviously because it was in this casing. So, I mean, that is one of the theories. And like I said, we're going to get into that. And we're going to also talk about this North Pacific current. And that is one of the currents Chris was referring to because that current, that flows from east to west. So you've got a current that is coming from Asia up through the Pacific, and lo and behold, it comes right through the Salish Sea. So, uh, Chris, why don't we go into the next shoe that was found a mere six days later, August 26th of 2007. So once again, but this time in the Gabriola Island, also in British Columbia, another uh, man's right foot was this time discovered by a couple. It was disarticulated due to decay. It was waterlogged. Apparently, this one was actually taken ashore by an animal, they think. That's kind of a bizarre way to describe uh, the foot as being waterlogged. I mean, I, I one would assume if the foot had been adrift for you know a number of months, if not years, that of course it would be waterlogged. But Chris, once again, and this is odd, this was another size 12, but this was a white Reebok. And it was produced in 2004 and sold primarily in North America. This foot has yet to be identified. And those are always the strangest ones to me. Like, when they're running these tests, I guess maybe if somebody doesn't have DNA in a database, it will be more difficult to obviously identify the body. Which, you know, makes it all the more unnerving just to find this foot that seemingly belongs to no one. So... Chris, then we have a little bit of a layoff. So nothing happened for the rest of 2007. And obviously we can't run through every case, but we're going to give as much info as we can and describe some of the findings and the location of where these feet were found. We had a little bit of a break from August 2007 until February 2008 when a right foot, once again that right foot, in a size 11 Nike washed ashore in Valdez Island and fortunately enough Chris they were able to identify this foot and notify the family and apparently and this is a sad story the foot belonged to a 21 year old Canadian man who was reported missing get this Chris four years earlier so I mean it's amazing that these feet can be preserved to this extreme and I'm guessing it's due in part to the temperatures of the water, the, the freezing temperatures of the Salish Sea. I mean, you dive into this thing, you're going to be wearing your balls as a bow tie. Now we know, we, at least we have a little bit of, uh, you know, something to go off of in terms of length of time, because as you were mentioning before, some of these shoes that are washing ashore aren't necessarily from recent incidents, because this is four years prior, and who knows how much longer, you know, these feet can stay preserved in these shoes before they're discovered so um time is not is not really something that they can go off of here and it gets even crazier chris because this poor kid you know they found the one foot on february 8th in the valdez island and they found his left foot about four months later in westham island and they were able to conclude that both feet belong to this poor kid that they assume committed suicide or succumb to some sort of accident but they don't believe that it was foul play but i mean look at that that's four to four and a half years since this kid went missing so who knows how long this foot or these feet were drifting out in the sea because you, like we said you have that foot casing and then the extreme cold temperatures it's the perfect equation for preservation so chris in addition 
to this poor kid's feet being found, there were three more feet found that year in 2008. You know, obviously we're not going to go into every case, but we can break it down year by year. So in 2009, the residents of British Columbia were lucky enough to only have one foot found, Chris. And this was found in Richmond, BC, and it was a right foot, a size eight and a half Nike running shoe. And this this is crazy too, man. This was identified as belonging to a Vancouver man who was reported missing since January of 2008. So he was missing for almost two years until they finally found this foot. So once again, man, we're talking about cold waters and protective casing. So to me, it's crazy enough that you're finding his feet and that they've been preserved. But not only that, dude, the length of time. And just the, the, the insanity that these feet could be floating around here for four or five years. Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't know if uh, I'd be a big fan of living on this coast. My God, what else is going to wash ashore? And who knows what else is out there? You know, if you go deep sea fishing or deep sea diving, who knows what you're going to find? Fuck that. Uh, I mean, obviously, the rest of the body was there. But like you said, obviously, between sea life and decomposition, it, it tends to happen most more likely I'd say sea life uh, would take care of the rest because they obviously wouldn't get inside the shoe. But um, I don't know if you remember, do you remember, you know, like my grandfather used to work for on the Hudson river. Yeah. He was the river keeper, right? Yeah. They used to find bodies all the time, dude. I'm sure if, you know, if he was still alive and we could ask him, they probably found some like shoes and, and stuff too with the feet still in them. Well, dude, I remember in Yonkers when, before they tried to clean up the pier area down there, I remember as a kid, a, a couple bodies floated past. You saw them? I didn't see them, but my mom was on break one day from her job, and she worked down there, and uh, she was one of the people who saw one of the bodies floating past, and I, I notified the fucking cops. Fuck. Yeah. That's just got to be a horrific sight. And obviously, you know, when you're in these urban areas and there's more people around, you know, in the higher population density, you know, there, there's more of a chance of, unfortunately, finding a body floating in the water. Whether it be foul play, suicide, or accident. Some jobs, man. That's just like some of the shit you got to deal with. I, I could never imagine that. Like being a diver and then, you know, when you're in these real dark, murky waters and all of a sudden you rub up against something and it's a body. Oh, oh my God. Like, right. Like the divers that are actually looking for bodies, you know, like the divers for, for like local police departments or something like that. Or like, you know, like uh, the state police or whatever, they'll have like a diving unit because the, if somebody falls in the water or something, they have to go search for them. Can you imagine having a light on at night? You have to. Some of these guys dive at night. Uh, dude, I can't imagine that shit. Dude, I would throw up in my mask. And and imagine, yeah, just you're looking around and like your light, and you just like turn your head, and it's like right in front of you. Oh god, uh, nightmares. Right? Absolutely horrifying. There is no amount of money to get me to do that. You have to like really have like a special personality to deal with that kind of shit. Chris, unfortunately, these cases only get worse. Uh, as we uh, left off, we were in 2009. But uh, Chris, why don't you tell us about the August 27, 2010 finding, which is probably the most unnerving and the saddest one on our list. Uh, so this was in Whidbey Island in Washington. So, so um, now we're moving down to the States. Right. So as we said before, that this body of water does run between British Columbia and Washington State. So some of these, of course, would be found in uh, on the coast of Washington. But this time, and obviously, as we said before, not every one of these was has been able to be identified. And in this case, 
they couldn't identify who it belonged to, but they're suspecting that it was either a woman or maybe even a child's foot oh, because man. of the size of it. Uh, again, same thing uh, in a shoe in the sock. They determined that it had been the water for just two months. And I, I, I'd assume that's based on decomposition because of the other ones that they've dealt with before. I'm sure you kind of eventually, based on decay, you get an idea of a time frame. Well, I mean, that leads me to believe, you know, if we're going with this two-month time frame, I would tend to think, especially if this was a child's foot, that there would have been a child reported missing. So my guess would be that that foot of this child, or woman, as they speculate, came from Asia or maybe in the coast of of, uh, Russia. Maybe it was just a missing persons case that we knew nothing about here in the States or in Canada as well. In this particular case, they weren't able to match it to any findings in a DNA database. And and that's the thing here. When you're dealing with decomposition and you only have basically a foot to go off of right here, right? You know, if you can't find any matches from a a national database, the chances are pretty much nil that you're going to ever be able to identify the victim here. So, Chris, as we look into these cases, you know, and we're talking about the length of time that these feet are floating adrift in the sea, this one, this one takes the cake, dude. On November 4th, 2011, a man's right foot was found in a hiking boot in, I'm going to say it, Chris, I don't know if I'm right, Sassamac Lake, British Columbia. This just adds more proof to what we're saying about the... The preservation of these feet. Because as I said, this foot was found on November 4th, 2011. DNA was able to match this to a local fisherman who went missing, get this Chris, in 1987. So we're talking nearly 24 years of, one can only assume, this body floating around the ocean. I mean, we, we know that the sock and the sneaker can definitely protect from decomposition, but like the, I, I absolutely think that the cold water must be the, the, the real big factor here. When they conclude their investigation, the police seem to believe that with a lot of these victims, there was no suspected foul play. In this case, we're obviously looking at a fisherman who probably went overboard and unfortunately lost his life, and the sea life took what they could from the body and uh, the foot was preserved in his hiking boot. Dude, I'm, it's just crazy to me. 24 years. But Chris, as I said, authorities don't suspect foul play in a lot of these, but uh, there are some <laughs> very, and I mean very, suspicious findings with some of these feet. But why don't you tell us what was found at the end of 2011? So in December 10th of 2011, this was another one in, in the States. This is uh, Lake Union in Seattle, Washington. There was a human leg bone and foot, but this one was found in a plastic bag under the the ship canal bridge. That means one of two things. Someone found this thing and was like, uh, this is gross. Let me throw it into a garbage bag and throw it under the fucking bridge. I mean, who, who, who touches it and picks it up? Just leave it alone. Or if you do find it, notify somebody. It's, it's not a, it's not a fucking fish carcass. It's a human, (laughs) Oh my God, human's body. So, this is found and thrown under the bridge in a bag, so that would probably leave authorities to believe that there may have been foul play involved if they're finding this in a bag, or you chalk it up as what I said, is that someone threw it in there because it was gross and just tossed it, but that seems like a very fucking weird thing to do. This sounds to me like it's some sicko who might have murdered someone, 
dismembered them and threw this thing under the bridge. They never were able to identify the body. This one wasn't found in the water, though. Or, or I guess if it was found under the bridge, I don't know if this particular area is in a body of water. Though it says Lake Union, so I'd imagine that it was sitting in this bag in a body of water. Ugh. But there's not much information else uh, otherwise on this. And I'm assuming that's just because they were unable to find any information on the body itself. But I gotta imagine that this was not an accident. No, no way. Not to be put in a bag like that. My God. But, you know, we, we find this out as we look at some of these later findings throughout 2016 and 2017. The coroner's office was unable to find matches to a, a, a number of these feet that they found. And from 2016 to 2018, Chris, there were an additional five feet found altogether. They were able to make some assumptions as to who they belong to but they were never able to list it with pinpoint accuracy as to who these people were and who these feet obviously belong to and as we said they could be from all over the world i mean they could be from asia they could be from russia canada the united states so you just don't know the last foot that they found and i haven't checked on it any further than this so i mean these things seem to be showing up every year so we may have missed a a couple but the last one was found on new year's day in 2019 fortunately for the family here they were able to identify the victim here and that was antonio neal and this gentleman was missing since december 12th of 2016 again this thing was floating adrift for a little over two years so chris as of now that was the last reported foot and that foot was found on jetty island down in everett washington so I mean, this is running the span of British Columbia coming all the ways down into the state of Washington. And I would imagine one's probably making its way down into Northern California. Who knows? You know, they'd be showing up everywhere for all we know. But for the most part, we went through that well-known list of the 20 feet that have washed ashore. And the one thing that is really interesting is that it runs the board on every type of person, men, women, children. People from different continents. There is no limitation to what they're finding here. So this leads me to believe that within all these separate instances that these feet are showing up from around the world. And I think what's happening here is, like we talked about, for example, that North Pacific Current. I think, you know, these bodies are falling into the water, whether it be foul play, suicide, boating accidents, natural disasters, whatever the case may be. I think that these bodies are falling into the water getting eaten by sea life. The, obviously, you know, with decay, it separates at the joints, and then you're left with uh, just the feet. And the interesting thing here is that if it is the North Pacific Current that's coming through, it's taking the feet on a northern route and dropping them into the Salish Sea, which then kicks it back out and maybe it ends up down the coast. But what I'm finding interesting, especially with some of the cases of these people that have gone missing since as we said, 1987, dude, 24 years this foot was floating around out there. So I'm wondering how many other feet have drifted ashore and then the tide took it back out and it just started that whole path over again. If you're looking into this pattern, the ones that have not lost ashore here are probably just circling around. But uh, I mean, that's just my guess. Now I'm going to ask you, pal, what do you think? I mean, I have to agree. I have to agree that the, that the reasoning for these you know, just finding the feet is just because that particular part of the body is preserved. And obviously, since we know time is not much of a factor here, because the one that was like over 20 years old, you're going to have way more of a chance of finding something that is going to remain 
that way over many years than you are to find the rest of the body. So your odds of finding a foot in a, sh- in a shoe are way greater. And as you said, it, it, with the currents, it could just be constantly moving around until someone actually ends up seeing it or it ends up making it close enough to shore where, where it washes up. And that just makes you think, I mean, how many more are eventually going to show up? Because as long as uh, the uh, ocean keeps flowing, I think we're going to keep finding feet. I'm sure there's some out there right now that no one's found yet. You know, it's because we actually looked at an article, Chris, and uh, one of the scientists actually conducted a test where they talk about decomposition. And obviously, they couldn't use a, a human body. <laughs> there was nobody willing to uh, die for this test, so they threw a pig carcass into the ocean. Am I right, Chris? Right, you be. And what were their findings? So this forensic scientist by the name of Gail Anderson, and coincidentally, she conducted this test in the summer of 2007, and that is right around the time these feet ended up being found. That's when they started and showing she up. Did, she, yeah, and she, and she actually conducted this test in the Salish Sea. So I, I think what happened was the, the authorities in Canada reached out to her to conduct this test, the Canadian Police Research Center. And they actually were trying to understand how quickly a homicide victim might decompose in the ocean. And so, as you said, of course, they can't use a human body for, you know, ethics reasons. They threw a pig in. And what they discovered wasn't too pretty because the first thing that happens to the body, and obviously pigs are used a lot in studies because the uh, between the flesh and other things that are very similar to the human body that they, uh, they are able to conduct a lot of experiments on them. But... What ends up happening is the carcass went straight to the floor of the ocean pretty quickly. Um, So for reference here, this one was in 308 foot deep water. So it hit the seafloor pretty rapidly. And then at that point, it it was just absolutely decimated by shrimp, lobsters, crabs, you name it. So in reference to the feet though, why the feet? And it turns out they said that these underwater scavengers... Uh, they work around the bones, obviously, because, you know, there's there's not much they can get from the bone itself. It's too hard. So they prefer softer tissue. And so with the joints being removed from the socket and other things, that tissue that's holding things together, it, you know, obviously ends up, the ligaments and stuff, ends up releasing the foot, arm, or whatever from the body. What they're they're concluding here is that while the body could have basically sunk to the floor at first when it was in the water, once the foot becomes detached, because of like there's like gas-filled pockets that could that could actually become common inside the soles of sneakers, that would explain why once the foot was detached, it was able to float to the surface. So that that's really the, the main explanation that they're giving for the reason why just feet were found. Well, that's the thing. Basically, the foot is in its own little life raft at that point. Right. God, man. I mean, that is disturbing. But what's interesting is you said this test was conducted in 2007. So it was right around a time of the first foot that washed ashore. And I'm guessing after this study, it provided a little bit of relief to, you know, the authorities there that, this is what's happening. Rather than thinking you have a serial killer that is dismembering these bodies and dumping the, the feet into the ocean, right? At least it provides a sense of understanding as far as what's happening here. 
Yeah, and I, I 100%, if I was authorities that didn't know better, I mean, you could come, we came across this fairly, I'd say, easily just based on common sense, I'd say, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily, you know, 100% common sense, and you can, you always have to think of any possible situation, so a serial killer would be a likely situation if you didn't know that this was the reason why you were just finding feet, because what are the chances otherwise that you'd find just the feet and the sneakers every time? So I would think the same thing. Yeah, right. It's like it's it's like you're matching up the M.O. of a serial killer. Like you're just finding right feet from from, say, men, right? Because the majority of these uh, feet that they found were from men between sizes 10 and 12 and whatnot. So you you can obviously look in that direction. But if you're one of these people <laughs> that find these feet, imagine what you're thinking. I mean, the, the trauma of that. That's something you may never go into water again. I'd be finding a different fishing spot, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but that's it, Chris. That is the case of the Salish Sea Human Foot Discoveries. And, I mean, that one was... Uh, that one was different, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that concludes episode number 56 pal and uh we don't have too much editing to do on this one uh, i think i could wrap this one up tonight get it released tomorrow and uh we can get the hell out of here and hopefully we'll be back next week we'll see what happens but uh famous last words yeah but with <laughs> all that said let me give the rundown and we can get the hell out of here chris if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com, or you can reach us on Facebook, uh, Between the Cracks Podcast, on Instagram, Between the Cracks Podcast, wherever the hell you want. If you want to become one of our lovely patrons, the link to that will be in our show notes. We have different tiers. We give away different things. Um, you can request shows. We give away mugs, stickers, all that type of stuff. But uh, if anybody wants to um, buy something from our store, you can go to teespring.com and search BTC. The link to that store will be in the show notes also. So I think that's it, Chris. So without any further ado, why don't you say we wish the fine, fine people out in podcast land the fondest. Oh, a farewells. Perfect. All right, bro. Thanks, man. All right. All right, later. Later.